Note from the producer, the following episode contains a conversation about suicide. It's one of the things I try and put out to other Christians and say, if you genuinely believe that homosexuality is wrong, your response as a Christian is don't get into a homosexual relationship. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Don't Repeat This, a podcast where we discuss the topics you're not supposed to bring up at the dinner table. I'm Vicky. I'm Gail. And Nate is away again this week, helping Geralt Arivia find his horse Roach and probably hopping around on rooftops or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, this week we're going to be continuing a conversation that we had last week with our guests on the topic of conversion therapy. And I think this week we kind of want to talk about, um, you know, what are we going to do about it now that we have this knowledge? So Gail, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, okay. First of all, welcome back, Brian. Thank you. I know Thank when we you. were, we had you, we were just, we didn't want to end this conversation. You have so much information <laughs> on it. We really appreciated you telling your story. And for those who haven't heard that episode, go back, go back to last week's episode and take a listen. You will get to know who Brian is and his story. And um, when I saw you put up a Facebook post on the law in Canada and how they're wanting to introduce a new law and you were supporting it, you shared how you know a lot on this because you have been in conversion therapy yourself personally and also you have participated in trying to help others in that and you've changed your view on this so you want to get the the general idea of where brian has been go listen to last week and so this is where we're kicking off our conversation this week um i just wanted to read some statistics before we um jumped into things according to uh 2019 2020 community-based research center of sex now survey one in five sexual minority men have been subject to sexual orientation, gender identity, and or gender expression change efforts. Um, 2011 to 12 results of the survey showed that lower income, this was interesting, lower income indigenous and trans persons are disproportionately represented in those who are exposed to conversion therapy. Those were like just um, stats, thoughts. Um, I guess I'm just thinking through this whole topic and I know we were talking before we even started recording and thinking through things. And uh, and one of the things, the good points you brought up, Brian, was just the well-intentionedness sometimes. Like we're thinking about laws and how to change things. And um, I know I did youth pastoring for many years and now I regret the fact that I was unaff unaffirming. I, I definitely, you know, held some youth in my arms as they were crying and, and, and wanted to end their life. And I didn't have the right answers for them because my theology didn't allow me to point them outside of just go somewhere where you can be affirmed for who you are and not be ashamed of who you are anymore. I was trying to, to fit in the confines of what I believe was in the Bible and what was right. And, and I look back and I know I meant well. I know that I love these youth with my whole heart and I wish I wish I knew now what I knew then. Um, and I think a lot of people who are pastors, leaders in church, um, they do mean well. And we're hoping in this episode to maybe make a case for people who, you know, your heart's in the right place and really you're taking these positions because that's what you've been taught and, and you do love your youth and you do care about your youth. And Brian, you had some thoughts in terms of people and how they've loved you and how it's complicated as well. And I wondered if you'd want to share or share some thoughts. Yeah, I, I think one of the thing is whenever we, we talk about this, 
from this side of the issue, it's very quick to talk. We use the words hate and, you know, um, just say no to hate. And there is truth in that, but I would say very little of the damage that was done to me, I think were done by the people who hated me. Like, certainly when I was in high school and I got beat up, like the person who did that was acting out of a place of hate. But I think there were far more damage was done to me in my life who people who loved me and meant well and thought they were doing the best for me. And when I was on the other side of this and I was actually advocating for non-affirming positions, people would always say, oh, you're full of hatred, you know, and, and I would immediately tune out and stop listening to them because I'm like, you don't know me. You don't understand my motivation in this. I'm not doing this because I hate people. I'm doing this because I love them and, and I'm trying to do the best for them. And, and I think this is what God wants from people. And, you know, and, um, and the, the people who just treated me as if I was stupid or treated me as if I was hateful did very little to um, help me change. Even growing up, like there were pro-gay churches and pro-gay organizations out there. It was a lot harder to access them in the days before the internet was available everywhere. Um, But but I knew those places were out there and I didn't go to any of them because the way I was raised just didn't make going to those even be an option for me. So I'm always thinking about what can we do for those people who are, are growing up in those similar situations and how can we help people take the steps um, that get them to change one of the things that was most helpful for me was encountering people who disagreed with everything that I did and was teaching and yet still treated me with respect and listened to me, took time to, um, to befriend me and helped me see more of their lives and see through my assumptions about them. Um, And the more of those people I knew the more cognitive dissonance grew in my mind that that I had the answers and everything was sure. But if no one actually, if I just got to stay in my echo chamber of evangelicalism and didn't actually get to know people outside of that, it would have been very hard for me to, to begin to change my mind on things. Um, and so now that I'm in a position of holding the other side, I'm, I'm doing this balance of saying, how do I stand up for truth and speak for the right thing? But how do I also remain accessible and continue to speak to people who are on the other side of me? And it's so easy in our society when I see someone disagree with something, I think I'm just going to unfriend them. I'm going to cut them out of my life. I don't want those toxic people. But I was once that toxic person <laughs> and somebody extended a hand of friendship to me that allowed me to change. So I'm thinking a lot of, of how do I, you know, how do I have conversations with people that help open them to the fact that there's other changes in this? On um, that topic, Brian, uh, sorry 
to kind of, yeah, if you want to continue, go. But I was wondering, have you, do you have any examples that you've had or things that have encouraged you in terms of those conversations or opportunities that you've had since changing your position on things? Or maybe it hasn't gone super smoothly, but you see it as, uh, as what it looks like to navigate those spaces sure. with people. So there is a, a very, I won't name names here, but there's okay. a, a <laughs> they, don't, they might know, but you know, <laughs> major youth convention um, that trains would it be where I met you possibly across Canada <laughs> what's that I said would it be where I met you possibly at no, a Canadian no that, okay. that convention doesn't actually exist anymore ah, okay all right so, so this is a different one but it, it, it was one that I think probably for 10 years I was a speaker that went in every year and they had me do the section on how to to speak to LGBT youth and, uh, and, and they allowed me to speak there longer than any other convention. At, like a lot of people, as soon as I started questioning things, I was cut off. But they actually gave me a lot of leeway. But I finally pushed hard enough that they were like, and spoke clear enough that they were like, we can't, we can't have you in anymore. Um, and then after they said that I wasn't allowed to speak anymore... They got a very good friend of mine in ministry who I used to tour with on the speaking circuit and who I love deeply like a brother and had him take over my seminars. And now he teaches my seminars and he's even more conservative than I was when I spoke there. So he gets up and he says something that I 100% oppose every time he does this. And the, the pain in that is, is really unique. <laughs> the sense of betrayal, the, the sense of rejection in that. Um, and I had some choices. I mean, I could just stop going to this conference. Um, and I think there might have been a year or two where I just didn't go because it just it hurt too much. Um, but I decided, you know, I'm still active in youth ministry and and this is an important conference and I want people to go to it. So I still take my team every year and every year I tell them, don't go to this, you know, this, the, here are, here are training seminars. I don't want you to go to because I don't want to have to unteach you what you're going to learn there, but we're, we're still participating in the larger life of youth ministry in, in our church. Um, and so for the last several years, I still go to the session every time he runs it. Wow. And sometimes I sit in the back row, sometimes I sit in the front row, but I'm in that, I'm in the conversation every time. And our relationship is such that he gets up and shares what he thinks. And then he gives me space to rebut him and say, this is why I think he's wrong. <laughs> um, that's something to actually be given the space. gracious on his behalf. Um and I, you know, I thought, is it better? Should I storm out? Should I protest outside and hold up signs? Um, I could do that. I don't know that that would actually give me more uh, ability to change people's minds than if I'm still in the room. And being in the room is physically painful for me. <laughs> and yeah. yet I'm choosing to stay there in order to continue to advocate. And every time he speaks, there are people that went there to hear him who come and listen to me instead. The last time I was there, I was at the book table and, and all of the books they had on this topic were horrible. Wow. Um, and I was just like, oh, and I saw someone go up and buy a book 
from a guy in the Gospel Coalition. And I was just Ew. like, ah. <laughs> And as he went away, I just had this Holy Spirit moment where I had to run over and be like, hey, I saw you buy that book. You don't know me. This is terrifying. But I want you to know that I used to teach the seminar on this. I understand what's in here. And this is a really bad resource. And if you follow the advice in it, it's going to cause harm to the kids in your youth group. <laughs> he was like, oh, was like, I feel so weird about this. But six months later, I get an email from him saying, okay, I've read the book and it seemed pretty okay to me. Can you tell me about what, you know, why you disagree with it? And we had this back and forth and he's saying things that I'm like, no, no, no. But we're keeping a conversation going. He has now had like 3000% more listening to someone on the other side than he would have if I hadn't been there at the conference. Now, not everyone can do that. It's not healthy for everyone to continue to put themselves in those places and allow themselves to be re-victimized over and over again. But if you can, we still need those voices that work as bridges. We need people to go into those places and believe that the people that are there aren't monsters. They're, they're people who mean well. But meaning well doesn't mean you're not harming people. Um, for when it comes to the gospel coalition, Vicky, you had a there's something that you were saying. Oh yeah, I was just wondering, like for people who aren't familiar with the gospel coalition, like what is what is that? I mean, whenever you try and sum up a group that you're not part of, you're always <laughs> going to do a bad job. the 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 best way I would describe the the gospel coalition is they are a uh, neo reformist organization committed to. Uh, one of the more conservative interpretations of scripture okay. and uh, keeping churches holding to those conservative values and living out their faith in those conservative ways. It's a very, uh, maybe I'm, I'm overstepping trying to sum up a big group and I'm all the names and conferences when I've seen uh, the Gospel Coalition. It's a very white male conservative led group from what um, I've it, seen overall. You, you, patriarchal. you have to be careful on that because I know people of on sides. And um, I mean, I've seen articles, I've seen people that hold to that group that are putting out some of the most hurtful things and are doing it from actually hateful places. But most of the people I know who are reading and writing from it are very caring people who are trying to follow Jesus well. Um, I, and I've seen challenge pieces. I mean, heck, even they they published an article a couple days ago of John Piper saying why he doesn't like Donald Trump, and it shocked the heck out of me. <laughs> you know? So, wow. we, we reduce people to caricatures, and they're never those things. Yeah. Um, they're always so much more complex to that. Um, I appreciate, I really appreciate that dynamic that you brought even into just this topic of just trying to help us, um, you know, not do that so that we can keep our dialogues and conversations going in a healthy way. And I know that when you look at people and organizations, you've had enough interactions with different people that you do, you choose not to do that. And you've seen a lot of loving people that you really strongly disagree with. And yeah, I appreciate yeah, that so, angle. Um, a book I'll plug here, uh, my uh, uh, former colleague and, and friend of mine, um, Justin Lee, uh, wrote a, a great book. And he, he 
um, was one of the leading voices, uh, affirming voices within evangelicalism. He wrote a terrific book, Torn, about growing up realizing he was gay and, and trying to put that together with his Christianity. But he's written a new book, and uh, it's called Talking Across the Divide, How to Communicate with People You Disagree With and Maybe Even Change the World. Um, I would highly recommend it for people who are thinking out these ideas of how do I talk to people who are different than me, even on topics that are really personal and, and painful when people disagree. Because, you know, when you disagree about whether, you know, pineapple belongs on pizza, you know, if someone yeah. wants to eat pineapple on pizza, it doesn't actually harm me, even if I don't think that's a great idea. But when people say, you know, but when people say, um, you know, gay relationships shouldn't be acknowledged, like, man, that hits me in a very personal place and impacts my life in really profound ways. And that's a whole lot harder to, to keep distance on as we have conversations. So. Yeah, there's definitely, like, I feel like on this topic, especially, you know, just saying, well, I agree to disagree with you, you have that opinion, I have that one, kind of leaves out the fact that those opinions have consequences that can be life or death. And that's definitely why I think this whole topic is super important to talk about and why mm -hmm. we need to be having these discussions because, you know, just having a theological difference uh, or a different point of view on how you view scripture is one thing, but taking mm -hmm. a position on something that can, can, can cause teens to, you know, elevate their risk of suicide is completely different. And so being passionate, caring, wanting to see that change while also being thoughtful about how you engage in those conversations. Um, that's the tricky part. And so thanks for the, yeah, um, I think it's very important how, I mean, we talk about this. I try and, um, when I talk about this with Christians and they're like, how can you hold this position? They always want me to start with Bible verses and, you know, prove to me why these Bible <laughs> verses say this or don't say this. And what is your interpretation of first Corinthians six, nine? And I'm always like, not going to start the conversation there. What I'm going to tell you is I did all of the things that you were saying that we should do as a Christian, and the result is I saw teenagers trying to kill themselves because of it, like good Christian teenagers who grew up in the church. And they're like, but that, uh, you know, they, they don't want to have the conversation there. And I'm like, hey, this is the point. Do you think Jesus wants this? And this changes the conversation. Then they either have to say, some of them say, I don't think that's actually true, that that's really happening. Or they say that only happens in those really horrible churches where they beat people up. That happens at, you know, um, you know, the churches down in the South or it happens at what's that crazy church that goes in Westboro uh, Baptist, that, you know, Westboro Baptist becomes the, the, the defense thing. I'm not Westboro Baptist. So if I'm not Westboro Baptist, I don't hate gay people. I, you know, I'm not harming people. <laughs> it becomes the straw man safety argument. Yeah. Um, so and I get to say, Hey, I worked in a, in a very accepting church that did all of those things that you say, I lived this out better than anyone else. And here was the result I still saw. Um, and that, that forces the reframe on things. So if uh, some of now, some of them will say, I believe that could be true. And that is horrifying to me. But as a Christian, I believe that I have to sacrifice everything to Jesus. And this is where we often get stories of, 
Abraham putting Isaac on the altar and being willing to sacrifice him for God. What they're honestly saying is your theology is saying that even if kids are causing committing suicide because of this, teach, living this, teaching this is still the right thing to do um, because it's Satan who's making them do that. And I just have to stand up for truth and I could distance myself for it because I have to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. And that's when I turned to Matthew 12 and said, why do you believe that's true? Here's what Jesus said about sacrificing people in order to uphold the law. And so what they often go is, oh, you're just wishy-washy on scripture and you're living out what your itching ears want to believe. And I'm like, I'm, I'm still married to a woman. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> my lifestyle, my this was the interesting thing. When I changed my theology, everyone assumed I was doing it because I wanted to get divorced and so that I could have what I want in life. And uh, when I changed my theology, my wife and I looked at each other and we were like, we both agree that it we would be okay for us to be with somebody else and God wouldn't send us to hell for that. Do, do you want to get divorced? No, do you want to get divorced? No, not really. Like, because we knew what each other were when we got married, the level of honesty and trust that was there didn't change anything when our theology changed. And I think when people see that, it gives me a unique space to be able to speak into this. Um, that you're, but, you, you've come to your positions from an honest searching and an honest yeah. observation. And it, like, I think that's hard when people assume that your motivation for changing your views, I know I've gone through this as I've gone through some deconstruction and gone from an evangelical mm -hmm. circle to a non-honest people looking at your life and trying to pinpoint what might be your, your ulterior motivations. Yeah. What sinful way has the devil grabbed a hold of your brain to like drag you into some reprobate scriptural stance <laughs> that doesn't and take I, <laughs> I often, when people say this, I turn this around to them and I'm saying, are you holding to what you believe on scripture because it's what scripture really says? Are you believing it? Because in order to keep your position and prestige within the church, you have to hold this view. I sacrificed everything in my career in order to live out what I believe. Are you willing to do the same thing? Um, I in a recent conversation I had, someone was writing back and forth and they said to me, you know, the thing that holds me back on this is I think, what if I get to heaven and I'm standing in front of the judgment seat and, and Jesus looks at me and says, you led these, you told these youth that they could do something which is forbidden in scripture and they went to hell because of you. What would I say? And I, I, I responded and I said, let me flip that around. What if you get to heaven at the end of things and you stand in front of Jesus and he says, I said it was better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into a lake than to, um, to lead one of, of these, these little ones astray. Yeah. You taught something that caused youth to commit suicide and self-harm and destroy themselves. And you did it in my name, but for people I love, how dare you? What will you say to Jesus in that situation? And I said, I don't know which of those two things is going to be right, but your theology is saying that the grace of God is such that if acting out of best intentions and love from others, you get things wrong, you're going to hell. And my theology says that if I am, I, I, I am doing the best that I can to follow and understand a loving God, 
um, that the, the blood of Christ is what redeems me, and it is not my own works and having the right theology. So, you're actually arguing for works theology by the way you're living this out and doing this, rather than actually trusting in the grace and love of Jesus, which is what you, you choose to preach here. Um, and being able to speak their language, use their theology, and understand where they're coming from uh, is much more useful than just screaming at them and saying, oh, you're hateful and you don't care about people. My, my experience on this is the people who, who cause the most harm on this actually care the most. They care the most for their teens. They don't want those teens to go to hell. They don't want horrible things to happen to them. And they think what they're doing is protecting them, which is why they're able to ignore some of those internal twinges of seeing other people suffer because they're going, it's for a better cause. So yeah, I, I, feel, I feel convicted in the sense that that was me too, right? Like I look at the, some of the Absolutely. worst advice I've ever given and my heart was, I know, in, in the place where I was trying to say the right thing, I believe what I said was, you know, going to lead to better for that person, that it was following God's path, that it was loving, and and that's where my heart was at at the time. It wasn't out of any malicious intent yeah, definitely. Well, I need grace for myself when I look back at old me and things I did and I taught that God's grace and forgiveness includes me in those situations. Ew, I look back at things. Facebook memories from a couple of years ago and I'm like, no, I don't want to see that version of me. Delete, delete. It feels therapeutic to delete things I used to teach or say. <laughs> my, my, but part of me has to accept and love the part of me that did those things and believe that I did the best with the tools that I was given at that time. Oh, Brian, you don't realize to. this. What you just said is like a direct quote from Vicky from a few weeks ago when we were talking <laughs> about churches and we were talking about pandemics and how sometimes churches handle things horribly. And her, those were almost her word for word. They're doing the best with the tools and the things they have been taught. And that's where yeah. they're at, up to that. But then I have to give that grace to other people, even when they're doing things I really 100% yeah. thing are hurt hurtful to other people, even as I speak up against them and, and speak my understanding of truth, I have to give them that same grace and believe that loving my enemies includes but the hardest person to deal with is the person who reminds you of who you used to be. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think we're very similar in that way where, you know, sometimes I vehemently disagree with some of my best friends and family members um, on issues of, you know, politics and religion. Um, but I think it's so important to keep the line of co um, communication open between um, differing opinions, because other otherwise, you know, if you live, like you said, in your own echo chamber, you're never going to experience um, any opposition. And so your, your own beliefs are going to be reinforced, even if they're wrong or hurtful to other people mm -hmm. yeah um and in in as a child and youth worker this is one of the pieces of self-care we learn that the people who remind us of ourselves when we were teenagers are the ones who trigger us the most and we have to be self-aware of those triggers and how we project ourselves onto them otherwise we end up causing them harm <laughs> yeah um, so in this, I think we tend to do one of two things. We tend to say we can agree to disagree. I think you're good people, even though we disagree on this. And so I'll just kind of let this go. 
or we say you're the enemy and I have to full throatedly, you know, fight and advocate against this because you are evil and the enemy. And it's like, I need to do both of those things at once. I need to say, you are people who I love, who are worthy of respect, who have good things and intentions, and you're wrong, and I have to full-heartedly advocate against you and speak up because you're causing harm to other people. We, we want to separate those two things, that if someone is doing something monstrous, it's because they're monsters. And it's like, all of us have the capacity to be monsters. <laughs> All of us are monsters, I think, in places of our lives that we don't understand. And we don't get to make these distinctions. It's, I love you, you're worthy of respect, made in the image of God, and you're doing hurtful things. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard place to navigate because it's so, it, especially when it involves uh, things that cause so much damage and harm I mean, I know for me, one of the things that I that I just can't take or handle is people, especially people in privileged groups who are not dealing with those topics, very aloofly kind of putting aside, let's all talk nicely, all opinions are valid and worthy, people in all positions of this have equal weight and equal, uh, that mm -hmm. we should all take all these views as all, like, just, just focus on having respectful dialogue and being nice, and being nice at the expense of actually what you're saying is harming someone else. So like that tension of still being able to speak very strongly against something you oppose and not, I guess I, for me, it's just like, I want to keep a dialogue open, but I don't want to be so afraid of hurting feelings that I can't tell you straight up that, Hey, what you're saying and doing is, is could risk somebody's life. Like it's yeah. actually serious and it needs that kind of a weight um, while not demonizing or turning you into a monster. So I, I also do think we have to be careful. And there, there's another piece on this, the normalizing. Hmm, I try and balance saying, Hey, the way we're teaching young people has negative effects. And many of them, um, attempt or succeed in suicide because we do it. Like, I have to talk about this. This is so important. But if the only narrative that people hear is that gay kids who, um, you know, that, that, that growing up gay in the church is going to try and commit suicide, we actually create that as the normative response and path and answer for facing these things. <laughs> so it's also really important that we have voices that say, you can be gay and not commit suicide or try to commit suicide. It gets better. There is hope. Like it's, it's this danger because you need to talk about this risk, but sometimes the way you talk about this risk can set up normative paths that that should be your response when dealing with these things. Right. And so whenever I talk about how we talk about this in the church causes youths to, um, to be at higher risk of these things, I also need to talk about that is not actually the solution to what's going on here. And here are lots of stories of people who are Christian and gay and living happy, healthy lives, you know, and continuing on in things. Mickey, did you have uh, anything on your list too that you're... I think, honestly, I had, I had four... I started with four questions. When in the first episode, when Brian was explaining his story, he answered two of them in, in great detail. So then I had two questions and I asked them in the first episode. So I have nothing remaining. Nothing remaining. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that's Which I'm me. actually I really grateful about. Question, but yeah. People actually get around to asking them. I love that. <laughs> I mean, all my good interviews with anyone has involved me coming up with a list of questions and they hit all the answers before I even get to ask them. I'm like, yeah, you, you knew where we were going on this one. You had, that's why I called you in on this because you, <laughs> you were going to go there. Um, I guess, you know what, Brian? I, you I know, oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead, Vicky. <laughs> okay. I, I do have one question um, that maybe you touched on, you know, but just if like, for example, if I, if I was a, um, a youth uh, person coming to you, you know, maybe in a UC setting, maybe outside of a UC setting, or you hear of me, we're, we're having an interaction and I come to you and I say, I'm very conflicted um, because I identify um, as homosexual or um, I identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and I just want to follow, you know, the teachings of Jesus. And I really, really, um, I want to be a good Christian. You know, what would that conversation look like? Well, I think a really important thing in this is I have to set, anytime you're doing counseling ethically, you need to set aside your goals for what you want for this person. So in myself, I might be screaming, just get married to another guy and it's all going to be okay and you'll be fine. And that might not be true for them. Um, I had one situation, you know, you have to be so careful as a counselor not to project on your client. So I had one youth who was coming to me and he was saying, I think I might be gay, but I also kind of like girls. And I was like, maybe I'm just bi. And I had this bias that said, you're not really bi. You're just thinking that you must be this way because that sounds more acceptable to you than than being gay is in, in our group. And I experienced that where, where at times I was like, maybe if I'm bi, that will be better and more acceptable to my community. So I project on them. Turns out he really is bi. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so quick to come to the, you should get into a relationship with a guy right away. That will be the thing that makes you happy. That wasn't actually what he needed in that situation. What I needed to do was listen to him and where he's at. I have friends that are Christian and being celibate and and uh, recognizing that they're gay and being celibate is what works for them. And they're able to do that in ways that fit into their community. And people, you know, it's not my job to tell them, no, you don't have to do that. It's my job to help them figure out what do I really believe and how do I live congruently with my beliefs. Mm -hmm. So my job when I'm doing counseling with someone is not to tell them what the answer is. It's to help them genuinely interact with themselves, with their belief system and live that out with integrity. And that might not always look the way I think it should look. And I'm sure like people look at me and can't understand how the relationship I'm in right now could be a life affirming and congruent thing. And I'm like, I can't explain it. It just works for me. But then it's also just because it works. This was one of my hangups because it works for me. Doesn't mean it's going to be good or work for everybody else Yeah. because it's healthy or life affirming for me. Doesn't mean it's going to be healthy and life affirming for somebody else. I think that's a really good way to look at a lot of different um, types of, you know, maybe cognitive dissonance that we see with other people who we may disagree with is to just, whether it's religion based or otherwise, just to say, you know, your lifestyle, I may not understand it, but I love you and God loves you. And mm at the end of the day, you know, it, you have the agency to do whatever you want to do. And I respect that. 
this is one of the things I try and put out to other Christians and say, if you genuinely believe that homosexuality is wrong, your response as a Christian is don't get into a homosexual relationship. (laughs) Your job is not to stop anybody else from doing this. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and, and and trying to, you know, help them think through that place. And that's particularly hard with parents because it's part of their duty to raise their kids a certain way. Um, but but helping them release that idea of I can I can make people a certain way. One other just quick caveat I need to put in this. I'm sharing my experiences as a gay individual. Um, we have the fellowship, what I, I lovingly sometimes call the fellowship of the endless acronym, LGBTQA, A plus, you know, we, we can't even in, agree internally which letters and numbers and symbols we should use. Um, I, my experience of conversion therapy as a gay person is very different, particularly from the conversion therapy of a trans person. And oftentimes these things get lumped in together. And and I need to be careful in sharing about this because trans voices and trans experiences are very different from gay experiences. And so people often hear me and say, oh, can you speak to this? And I'm like, no, I can't speak. That's not my experience. And, And things go very differently that way. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, it, I, it's obvious. It's obvious to me that there is a disconnect, but I think you know it's it's hard too to sometimes find the language, and so we fall back upon the language that we're most familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think when talking about sensitive topics, like it is, it it is good to address um, people specifically and individually as they are, and recognize that you know we all have our own individual lived experience. All right, Gail, do you have anything else before I wrap it up? Yeah, I'm just going to say, like, even as a straight person listening, it's, it's, I'm making certain connections of like, you know, I see myself as somebody who loves being in a relationship. And I can't imagine being living as a single because I really enjoy being in a, like, it's just how I am. But I have a lot of straight single friends who are perfectly content being single and I'm happy for them. And I don't want to make them feel like, you know, relationship is what you need because that's what I need. And I'm willing to accept it there. And I think it just gets hard sometimes if I hear somebody is being celibate and gay, because I'm assuming, well, it's just the pressure of your community to, to, to tell you that you can't be in a relationship if you're gay. And I don't want to see that for you, but I really appreciate that dynamic you're bringing in Brian about, understanding each person is going to have their very unique situation and what will fit and work for them could, could look very different. And even if that was true, that the only reason they're doing it is the pressure from their community, just ignoring that pressure and saying, Oh, just go do this. Doesn't respect them in their realities either. So thank you. Thank you so much, by the way, for, for joining us for two episodes in a row and giving us so much food for thought on this topic. Um, It's been my pleasure. I'm really glad to come and do this and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian, um, for joining us again today. Um, and we're so glad that we were able to share this, um, story, your story with our listeners. I think it's so important. I think, I think, you know, Gail and Nate, would both agree with me. Um, but it is so important to share this with everyone. So I think that does it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Um, and if you don't know which podcast app we're hosted on, we're 
on most of them, but you can go to don'trepeatthispodcast.com to see a list of all the apps we're available on. Please share the episode with your friends and family if you like it. Um, Rate and review us on iTunes. Extra points for five-star reviews. Um, And please, please follow us on social media. We're at Don't Repeat This Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Don't Repeat Pod on Twitter. So on behalf of my co-hosts, Gail and Nate, I'm Vicky, and this has been Don't Repeat This. So don't repeat this stuff at the dinner table or, or do, but maybe not up to you. (laughs) 